0: Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Black on Black Education Podcast. Today, you're gonna hear a conversation between myself and Ms. Dara Byrne, who is the Assistant Provost and Dean of Undergraduate Studies at my alma mater, John Jay College. We talked about creating community for students, the incredible impact of being a student who goes to a school of color, and the need for collective action forward. I think you're really going to enjoy it. It's so deep and rich, and it goes with the times. What, what we're all going through right now, what's happening all around us in the world, um, Ms. Star Burns gives us a path forward, and what we can be doing as activists and as educators to support our students please enjoy hello hello welcome back to the black and black education podcast as always i'm gonna give our guests the opportunity to introduce themselves to you the listeners
1: hi listeners my name is dara byrne I am the Associate Provost for Undergraduate Retention and Dean of Undergraduate Studies at John Jay College. I know that's a whole lot in a title and it sounds like what in the world does she do? Essentially, my entire focus for my career in this role at John Jay is about about helping students to get the degrees that they came to the college to get as well as to provide them and the faculty that teach them with the tools and resources to make the learning experience as best as it can be. Mm-hmm. That usually means um, paying attention to both student interests as well as student needs in terms of the different career paths or academic paths that they hope to receive. And so I get to do a lot of creative things ranging from um, new cohort experiences and programs like honors, all the way through to advisement experiences and initiatives that put um, resources, like real resources in students' hands to eliminate some of the barriers that get in their way when it comes to claiming that degree.
0: Absolutely, and so I think my only follow-up question to that is, is why do you do it?
1: Oh, God. Why not? Why not? I mean, you know, uh, one of the things that is important in the context of thinking about structural racism that we're going to get into a little bit today is to remember that schools are a part of that. And for every aspect of schools from the tertiary level all the way through to higher education. These are uh, traditionally oppressive and repressive systems that are meant to create obstacles or, and hierarchies. And so that I get to follow the needs of students that historically were never supposed to be there and bend systems and structures to serve them. Why not? If you are um an active practitioner of liberation um and engaged in anti-racist work you will do what I get to do.
0: I love that. I love that. And so um kind of moving moving into our current state of 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 the world and of the country um I just kind of want to give you the opportunity to talk a little bit about um, on, a really, on a really like person-to-person, individualized scale, those who are listening, what are what is, if you could give them, I'm going to even push it down to the three sentences that culminate um, what people need to be doing or what they need to start to be doing, what would, what would that be?
1: I think that people are already doing, a lot of people are already doing things beyond my dreams in that one of the most um, deceptive things about cases that happen and they're always happening, right? These cases of our Black men who are um, tortured, murdered at the hands of racist institutions, to focus on a case or a person and to not always see the whole structure, the whole picture. And what I felt encouraged by, if we can even think of that kind of a word right now, is the, the volumes of people from all walks of life, particularly Black people from all walks of life that are honoring both George Floyd and others, countless others, as well as very clear about criminal justice reform, um, wealth inequities and things of the systemic nature and um, the level of sophistication in social protest and movement and organizing is here. I mean, there is no doubt about it, especially because these are very young people that are in the streets that are making their voices heard, but they're speaking to very big, broad issues at the same time as being enraged over the life of particular people. And that is Truly, truly a remarkable thing and something that I'm very proud that I get the chance to bear witness to because that really says to me, and I know this is beyond three sentences, but that really says to me what it is that people are fueling their minds with, what they're reading, what they're talking about, what they're thinking about, and they are right on the money.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, listen, it deserved more than three sentences. And so I kind of want to go back. We know where you are now. We know what you're doing now and how you're supporting um, the movement now. Let's kind of go back to your experience. And um, you, you articulated to be coming from a strong Black family, a strong support system. Um, what does it look like to start to implement that feeling of support Uh, that you had from your family uh, and the education that you received from them? And how do we begin implementing those into uh, our education system?
1: Yeah. So I I think that at the foundation of my life has always been this um, understanding that the things that I'm doing is not for gratification of self. There is a network, there's a community, you have the ability and lots of options on how you define that. But there is no valor or glory in everything being about me. I didn't get there by myself, uh, but certainly when I get there, I'm not in it for self. And that thing of um, service above self, community above self, uh, my people with the ever-shifting and shaping, changing definitions of what my people means above self has always been there. Um, And so uh, from the earliest that I can remember, there has always been this sense that I was not alone and that if I feel alone or that I accomplished a thing or that I was the only person in the classroom that looked like me, that I wasn't really by myself. And um, that sort of purpose-driven life came from that for me. And uh, the longer that I live, the more that I find that that strain, that sentiment is um, pretty common and pretty connected around uh, other people who um, seek to do things with the collective in mind. And in fact, the collectivist orientation is very African, is where we come from. And many uh, families and communities in the Western world, in the African diaspora still practice and teach this. And for me, it has been Um, a guiding light in the sense of both um, being able to survive in environments where um, I was racially isolated, where the knowledge of my community was not wanted, if not actively excluded, and that my Um, excellence as an intellectual person in the classroom and outside of it was um, denigrated, ignored, or even questioned in terms of um, whether I really did that myself. And so having this real sense that I was never alone and that I had a whole community and a whole history and a whole collective identity was always like that armor. Um, And I think in many ways, when we look at what it takes to um, combat structural racism and to help even just a student um, who has had the brunt of the effects of a racist structure impacted on them, making their way through school, that idea of um Communities and connectedness is really a sort of like a good blueprint of where to go forward from there um, and it is probably one of the things that i 'm most proud of in my work at John Jay is taking that background that I have and that sort of instinct I have about that to create spaces, community spaces for students not to give them formulas for what to do but to give them places and spaces where they are free to question, to challenge, to interrogate, but to be with each other in however you define that each other. Right.
0: And so, I mean, I can speak from experience, the sort of um, communities that have been created at John Jay have given me what, what I needed um, in terms of my my intellectual striving. And so, um, that that's incredible to hear. Um, and, and so kind of moving into the next question, um, you talked about in our pre-call again, um, not knowing what your trajectory was when you were young, um, but knowing that you didn't want to have a job that you didn't enjoy. You wanted to have a job that you loved. And so how did you find that in education? And, and, and I think it piggybacks off of a lot of what you said before, but how did you find that being, um, a support to students and being in education?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a that's a, a thing I like to talk about a lot because I think that sometimes talented people or ambitious people, because you certainly they're they're certainly not mutually exclusive, um, think that they should have a plan and they should know where they are going. And uh, I didn't. I'm good at a lot of things, but I just never had a plan. And I also faked it a lot and told people I knew where I was going long before I did. And by holding out on this idea that I don't really want a job where, you know, I'm going to complain about it Monday through Friday, spend my weekend um counting down the hours because oh gosh i've got to go back to work and complaining and so on i never wanted that and i knew a lot of people who lived that way i just never wanted that and i couldn't imagine spending like 40 years working at something that i hate or working around people that I hate. Cause you know, when people have jobs that they don't like, they talk a lot about their coworkers and who they can't stand and things like that. And it just seemed like a horrible way to live. And especially to go through all of this work of learning things to, um, that that is where your unfilled energy goes. Um, and so I stayed in school for a long time because I just did not want a job. And in fact, I think, if I had found something exciting to me in uh, undergrad, kind of like what you found, I would have had a completely different path. I would have followed that and then kept pursuing things that were exciting to me. It didn't happen. So I just stayed in school. And I was lucky in that I was good at school. And I, I mean, I love school. I love learning new things. So I found a place that I could be, um, but a lot of people don't have that. A lot of people, it's not school either. They don't see it, and and, and so they get in this space, right? And so um, what actually ended up happening for me was that I um, was in graduate school, and it was very expensive. I was in the United States for graduate school, which was a high dollar amount in comparison to uh, the Canadian dollar, and I felt so bad about how much my parents were spending for me to be in school. And there was a teaching assistantship position available and I begged and wrote letters and cried and pleaded and got an interview and got the, the, got a fellowship to, to teach. And that came with uh, tuition and a stipend. So it, I mean, it, pretty much eliminated most of the costs for my parents. So that's what I was in it for. And uh, the first day that I walked into the classroom, and I didn't even start to do anything. I just walked into the classroom and looked out at the class. And it was like everything fell together. I just knew, my God, this is where I'm supposed to be. And it's a funny thing to say, given that I've been in higher education for so long. I had a bachelor's. I had a master's. I was in my second year of a doctoral program. And it never occurred to me that being a professor was a thing to do or a thing for me to do. And, um, and it just all came together. And what I realized is that I don't like school. I like what knowledge and the exposure to new thinking, new information, what that does to the mind and the person, what it opens up for you. And that the greatest piece of it for me is what it's like to be a companion to somebody else who's on their journey in that What you can do in 15 weeks in a classroom, in setting up lines of inquiry, conversations, things to read, can help people to think about things and challenge and test themselves in ways that they hadn't thought of before. And while you're not responsible for what they do with it, you can play a very significant role in opening up somebody's mind to processing stuff um, and equipping them with the tools to grapple with things that may not have happened had it not been for your class. And that was compelling for me from the very beginning and brought forward this idea of a very disciplined way of thinking about curriculum, a very disciplined way of thinking about the classroom that it isn't just a bunch of people that happen to be there, but the person who is leading is really leading. They're leading you through a conversation, they're leading you through a series of exercises, and they're leading you through particular kinds of questions, and if you are not paying attention, then you will miss the intentionality of what that person thinks is critical at the moment. And so teaching became a great space from that very first classroom in 2001, a place where I could really practice what it means to me to engage with 30 minds on a topic that I think is critical for them. That is a powerful, powerful space to be in, right? And um, all that's happened over the years is that 30 minds per class changed to 120, changed to 600, changed to 13,000. That's really what's happened is that I get to spend my time thinking about what are the kinds of things that we need to do as a whole institution or as a whole collective, especially when 80% of the people in, those in, in that institution are coming from communities that have been impacted by structural racism. I mean, what then, what would you put in your curriculum? What kinds of questions would you ask? And so on, we can leave it up to chance we can leave it up to what faculty decide to do, or we can be intentional and ask the questions and engage in those conversations. Again, not as telling people what to do, but if you don't bring it up, you don't know what people want to do, you don't know what questions they're asking, and you, don't, you certainly don't build safe communities within institutions for people, especially faculty, to think about how they would practice that in the classroom as well.
0: Yeah, I love that, I love that. And so it just kind of leads me to to, to wanna talk about your experience at Howard. And it yeah. leads me to wanna talk about, um, not too long ago I had a conversation with my best friend's parents where we both were talking about our decisions and choices on where we decided to go to school. and. Um, how we weren't really intentional about the choices that we made in, in when it was time to, it was decision day and how we, we wish we thought more about going to an HBCU or we wish to, and I don't want to change anything about my college experience. I loved my experience at John Jay, but I wish I would have considered, um, other places or other things and other ways that I could have, I could have, um, experience my undergraduate and and the response to that was well that's not the real world Howard isn't the real world the real world isn't isn't a bunch of black people those safe spaces the way you're going to feel in that space is not real and I kind of posed to them well well why is it that Xavier University? Turns out the most Black doctors. Like, why is that? And successful doctors that go out into the quote-unquote real, real world. So I kind of want to just talk a little bit about the strength and the beauty of going to an HBCU, going to a minority-serving institution as a minority, and how it's kind of helped frame your belief systems and your path um, forward.
1: Yeah. So um, there, there are a couple of things to say on this. Um, there is a school for everybody. Okay, there's a school for everybody. I truly believe that. However, for me, um, in thinking about going into uh, my next degree at the time, it would have been my doctoral program, the things that I was seeking were very different than what I might have done as an undergrad. So as an undergrad, I went to the school that was down the street. Um, I was very young. I went to university at 16, and uh, I went to the school down the street. Um, I did my master's at the same school. They were also really tightly packed together. And at the time, the thing that was really bothering me was that there were, and, and I'm sure some of your listeners will have this experience, um, and I want to point this out as I did to you the other day, because it underscores how little things have changed, country to country, places around the world, how difficult it was to find curriculum in my university that reflected where, I, where my mind was going and what I was interested in. In fact, most of the courses, I just brought it with me. So um, I did a double major in sociology, anthropology, and English. And in, um, I, a lot of the courses that had um, content on race were at the graduate level. In fact, I got some of that in the undergraduate because I wrote to the professors and asked them to let me in. And one of those classes changed my entire life. The, 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 a sociology professor, she changed my entire life. The first class I took from her was called Race, Gender, and Citizenship. And the second one was something along the lines of Race in the Public Sphere. Those two classes changed my life. Um, and so I saw what it was like to be in courses that were feeding the whole me, the intellectual self and the socially connected black woman. And I'm throwing these things out there because I think that a lot of people survive institutional structures through bifurcated experiences. So this is the person I am to work with. And then when I go home and I'm with my, friends in my community, this is the the sense of self that I practice. Um, and I had I had all that. In fact I still do that to this day. There's a there's a dean that people work with and then there's a Dara that people kick it with, sure. But at Howard, what they gave me was a place where I had those bifurcated experiences, but all on the same campus. So the professor in the classroom with other students that looked like me was the public self that people experience today as Dean Byrne. And then down the hallway, I was Dara, right? So, it was the, it, it, so what I moved in on was the public and private senses of self as I wanted them to be not as what was informed by the way that I interact in institutional institutions that were not designed for me and I was at a place in my life where I, I would not have gone to graduate school if I wasn't in a place where I could ask and answer those questions but listeners should know I was in more diverse classes at Howard than I was at my predominantly white institution. And what I mean by that is Howard is a very international campus and it is a very national campus at John Jay. While the numbers might show a a lot of racial diversity, 99% of our students are coming from New York city. I know you live, um, outside of the city. So you're in the small percentage of people who are not in the boroughs. The bulk of the students are coming from New York city public schools. On top of that, at Howard, you're going to have students from all of the countries coming from all kinds of countries, all kinds of States. And you're going to be in class with white students with, um, asian students with students from the middle east with students from south asia especially at the graduate level the medical school at howard turns out whites white doctors as well as black doctors however the grounding curriculum and the grounding narrative here is still in service of the black community so no matter what When you graduate from Howard, you have a common awareness of how structural racism and inequities impact specifically Black people, the role that you can play in it, and the expectation, the assumption that the institution has equipped you as a graduate with all of the tools and knowledge for you to play a role in that that they were very clear. I mean, really, really clear that that is what as a grad you're going to do, regardless of your race. So it's not like the white people were excluded from that conversation or the Middle Eastern students were excluded from the conversation. That was just part of the subtext and the overt text and so on. And so, But what you see there is a range of Black experiences that I think is important for every Black people, black person out there to understand that we are not all the same. We are not unified at all when it comes to the liberation agenda and whether they should be one. So when we look out now on the um national landscape and we see from pundits to people grabbing the microphone to people on twitter saying all kinds of things that you might be like oh my god why are they saying that no 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 that's not the way i i already knew that i already saw it i already sat in classes with people who said absurd things other people that said very radical things things that i disagreed with and so on because we do not have a common experience but we do have the commonality in that um, these institutions, from housing to healthcare to criminal justice and so on, will impact us, impact people who look like us first and foremost, right? Um, and so that's where I was. And I'm very grateful for the experience of going to Howard because there was a call to action, so to speak, that I needed to hear an institution tell me, a school that looked at me and told me, you are excellent, and when you get out there, we expect you to reach back and help, period. You do not have a choice in that. And um, there was something about that that, I feel, in my heart, uh, fulfilled me um, after decades of being on the periphery of every institution that I came in contact with, to be inside a space that not just wanted me, but they had expectations of me to, to do things, right? That was a
0: lot. That was a lot. And I loved everything that you said, I, just from the standpoint of that kind of collective movement forward, um, and a collective knowledge and a collective experience of like what it means to um, be in service of the, the, the change that needs to happen in our in our. And so I, I love that you kind of cleared up for folks the fact that HBCUs one are not only for Black people, and two um, are diverse in thought, in curriculum, and ideology, um, and 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 do prepare you for the quote unquote real world. Mm-hmm. And so um, I wanted to kind of get into. You started talking about the questions that you were asked, and the and the and and, and your your the inquiry that you wanted to create. Uh, or that you got from being at an, from being at Howard. Um, You said to me, um, the answer is only as good as the question. That is such a powerful statement. And so right now in the space that we're in and the space that we're trying to go to, what questions do we need to be asking?
1: Yeah, um, listen, why I think always about the relationship between the question and the answer is that it pushes on everybody in the conversation to do the work, okay? If we don't put, for example, in our classrooms, uh, people and curriculum in front of you that are asking you to imagine ways of tackling problems, then you can't do the work of um, practicing your thinking and your theorizing around what it would be, right? That's four long years of no practice on what you would do on what you would work on and what is possible. That's a lot of time to waste, right? At the same time, as someone specifically in um, an institutionally relevant role, like being a dean, Um, If I am not asking questions about what the students need, what can we do better, where can we uh, address in our curriculum or in our policies ways of countering some of the um, debilitating effects of institutional inequities, then I don't create a space for the brilliant staff that I have. I mean, I get to work with almost a hundred people in undergraduate studies of countless talents, but if I don't ask them a good question, then they can't apply all of that brilliance to tackling something that is an important problem. And so it's it's a relationship that really matters, the question and the answer. And so I do think Specifically, all schools are at the moment right now where we really need to ask the question about what is it that we are asking our graduates to do? Most schools don't do that, okay? It is implied in the concept of what a university or a college does, right? you know, schools are, are really great, good citizen projects, right? So people learn a whole lot of stuff. They learn ethics. They learn collaboration. They learn all of these things to be really good out there, critical thinking that we tell you guys every single year that you're working on, to, to do things out there. But what we see right now is that we have a global structure that needs to be moved faster than what is happening now, okay? Um, And when the work comes together, things happen and it's great, but is it okay to just rely on students finding it there? Or are colleges and universities compelled now? I mean, as in we must be way more intentional in how students get there. And it's an important question because we certainly uh, emphasize that all students are, you know, you are free thinking beings who have choices. But when we look at, say, missing things like civics curriculum, missing things like, um, You know, public discourse, public rhetoric kinds of things um, from across a number of, uh, um, you know, intro options, the ethics classes, the criminal justice reform, um, inequities and injustices and so on. Are these things that need to be foundations everywhere? in terms of what the expectations are for a college grad, right? I think, it's, I think that question, we've all been kicking it down the road for a while. Certainly a lot of um, liberal arts institutions are excellent at this, excellent. But under-resourced institutions, schools where students are relying primarily on financial aid, for their courses, where they have to get in and get out relatively quickly in order to continue their journey and so on, we have a lot of a, a lot of challenges in in making some of this thing work. But what we're seeing is that we really need to take stock of what we're putting into the curriculum in order to equip students in. Um, Seeing society, not seeing their society, but seeing society and how it impacts varying groups of people, whether you are part of that definition of the people or not.
0: No, I, I love that. And I was and I was going to ask you um, how we, a collective we, um, start to create curriculum that serves. And so I think you touched on that beautifully there. And I don't think that you have to say anything else on it, like from the standpoint of these, these questions and reframing the way or what makes sense in terms of receiving an education? If we're asking these questions, and we're also making sure that students know throughout their time um, in this place that at the end it's supposed to be um, something that you're striving for, because again, it is commencement; it's not graduation. It's going into the start of of the trajectory of the rest of your life. And and I think John Jay does a really good job of saying we want you to go out there and be and be. Um, Fierce Advocates for Justice, it's just now we have to get to how do we change the curriculums, how do we have ask the questions effectively, so that people are really doing that after they leave. It's finding that, it's finding that. that right. The and, fierce, and, and, then, and, I,
1: and I think, too, it's important for people to understand that there are lots of ways that you can change a curriculum, right? And what I'm not talking about is creating a course, right so we can create all kinds of courses that are subject to student enrollment but well, what i'm talking about is the curriculum around justice for example and sitting out from my seat at the college what that means is what is the curriculum that 13,000 students are engaged with um Right. It's a, it's, a, it's a big question. And so how do you make it such that all of the students have in, engaged in certain kinds of things? At uh, John Jay, what we have done is um, in the uh, the Justice Corps classes, the 100 and 300 level, um, that's where those courses are, where you can take Um, specifically things that reflect what John Jay thinks about as questions of justice. Um, So it's not that it doesn't exist in the curriculum. Is it enough? Should it be um, more than six hours of your curriculum? Should it be 12 hours? How do you make that work, given that they also have to take between 50 and 70 something hours worth of classes in their major and things like that. So it's a very, um, it's a big question of how do you make it work? I think John Jay has a lot of faculty that are very committed and interested, but it's also possible um, since that's at the course level without a lot of framing and intentionality and advisement and guidance to students, you can luck into these courses or you could completely miss it because you don't necessarily know where to look, right? And so that's an institutionally important thing to think about is how do we frame for students? These are the critical things that are happening in your world or that, are going to be happening in the world that you are going to inherit. We want you to engage with this. Uh, Short of saying, I demand, because I can't actually do that as much as I want to. Um, I can't actually do that. But these are the things that I really think, for the next 10 years, future grads need to be versed in at least two of these. And here's how you can find them. Now, that sounds like an obvious thing to do. It's just that colleges aren't necessarily set up that way for someone to prescribe, these are the critical issues and this is what I think you should do. I think, I think it's a mistake, right? I think it's a mistake. I think that um, what we see in the world right now is that young people are hungry for answers to their questions. And what a very good college experience will teach you is the ability to frame your own well-thought-out question with the tools and skills to answer them yourself. If we do it right, as I told you before, You will leave asking more questions, but ideally you're not going to turn around and say, John Jay didn't answer this for me. Mm -hmm. You're going to turn around and apply the skills that you have to answer a question, to answer your own. Mm -hmm. That's what good college education does. Anybody who says to me, John Jay needs to do this for me or John Jay didn't do for that for me. My, my failing is not in answering their question. My failing is in where the realization is that, oh no, actually, what they gave me was a toolkit to answer any question that I want. Mm-hmm
0: i love that i love that i I say that i say something similar to that a lot when i talk to folks about what i want to see in a changed um education system and and so you're kind of on the side of higher education and i'm more on the side of k through 12 pre-k through 12 and what it looks like um, to prepare students for, for that for that that leap but i think the idea really has to sit in we're not trying to change systems and by we're i mean me and folks who are in a similar framework we're not trying to change systems by um by by figuring out which exact curriculum makes sense that we can cut and dry and send to every school in america to make it the it's it's how do we create a teacher force that is is incredibly good at creating a love of learning in students Mm -hmm. because my love of learning is what got me to the point where I graduated two weeks ago and I'm already like, okay, what's next? Here we go. I need to fix this. I don't know these things. These are the things I need to read about. Like that has, which has gotten me to that point. And it's how do we get there? Um, Because at the end of the day, there is no way for, for a high school to teach all of black history. There is no way for, for a college to teach all of Latin history. It's just not possible, but it's, if I love learning and this is something I'm interested in, I'm going to find the answer. And so I think that those two things connect super, super well and are, and are incredible kind of places to start to round out um, this conversation.
1: But, but that is where the piece about remembering that schools are a huge piece of the structural racism problem, right? Mm-hmm. That. You can have all that in a school. It depends where you live, right? And where you live depends on your race and the income of your household. Your income of your household is tied to race and so on and so forth. So yes, all of that is possible. It's more likely for middle income and up than not And so schools can and have become pipelines to the absolute destruction of futures of whole people because of where they're situated on that axis to um, resources and opportunities. And that is where I think um, sometimes we um, miss the complete incredible story of John Jay because for the backgrounds of the majority of the students that we serve and the absolute underfunding of the institution, I mean, for what we try to do and what, and and it's not John Jay specifically, I mean, most public institutions are doing more than what they can afford to do and they're making a lot of miracles happen. It is incredible what we do at John Jay and and how it works. I mean, our graduation rate 10 years ago was something like 19%. Today it's like 38%. Okay? Um and that is still and that's graduation in 4 years. That's still not enough. I want more. But we did that not on getting a better budget, we got that on the workforce, right? Um, We have more faculty and staff that are really into who it is we serve, the mission, the purpose, that goal of not seeing students with degrees, that's easy to get people degrees, like that's not even, That's not even a thing. It's easy to get a degree. It's the skill, the hard and essential skills to go out there and thrive. And it's that work. So when you read about John Jay being a top 10 place for Black economic mobility and so on, what you're hearing about there is one traditionally racist structure reworking itself to combat another racist structure right Mm -hmm. so a school being a place that combats economic insecurity that is a phenomenal story right but it comes through exactly what you're describing a better workforce a uh, a series of goals and a lot of discourse about what that means, um, what that means and why it matters, right? Again, asking and answering that question, right? Um, It's not about the money um, because you can get more money and do stupid things with it. You could get more money and spend it on the wrong thing. But that vision of what educating for justice is, And a campus engaged in questioning justice, what would that justice look like? And so on, and building from it, I think is a good sort of, um, it's a good case study in how a school could be used as a tool for redressing several ills rather than continuing to be complicit in it.
0: Absolutely. I, 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 100% agree. And then I love the idea that, that John Jay um, knows that there's still so much work to do.
1: Oh like, yeah. So oh much. my God. So much more, um, so much more. Because,
0: I mean, we do. We have this dichotomy of a, of a, of, a, of a two John Jay. We we have that dichotomy, and I think it's made me better in terms of how do I communicate, how do I how do I understand the other side of the, an argument, all of these different things. And I think John Jay understands that there's so much work that needs to be done. And because again, you're asking those questions, and they're embedded in kind of the formulation of of the university, and so we hit everything that I wanted to hit in this conversation because we can talk for a very, very long time. Um, I wanted to, as always give you the guest, the opportunity to become the interviewer and ask me any questions that you want to ask before we kind of round this out and, um, and complete another episode.
1: Mm-hmm. So you are a new alum who. It has graduated in an unprecedented time, um, which is going to bring a lot of, I'm sure, excitement, as well as a lot of trepidations about what to do next. It would be really helpful and I think exciting for me to hear if you had the chance to talk to incoming students that are looking out at their own sense of excitement and trepidations and college for them is what the job world is for you. Um, What would you... And you and you want them to join you in like four years on this sort of um, organized movement forward. What kinds of experiences or curriculum is present at John Jay to inform their thinking, or if not at John Jay? in your reading, in your thinking, or in your experiences. Because I think that in almost always the the knowledge of one group passed on to the next is more helpful than probably just about anything you can find out there. And so, you know, for those students who are coming in um, and for a dean that's still going to be there, who's always thinking about how can I help young people to apply the things that they are learning to see that their ways of applying and so on, and um, to continue building that lifelong kind of commitment to justice. Where do you start? Where do you go? What are the essentials that you think as a recent grad, new students need to hear about?
0: Absolutely. Um so so class of what twenty twenty four? Is that who comes in?
1: Yeah. Twenty
0: twenty four, I think specifically at John Jay, and then I'll kind of go wider, but specifically at John Jay, take advantage of the resources that are available on that campus. I think it's easy for us to compare our campus and our um, and our college to that of those that some of our friends went to. I know I did that. So, oh, Syracuse has this and University of Tampa has this and and whomever else has these sorts of things that aren't available at John Jay. Um, I, I implore you to kind of throw that out because those places also don't have what we have. They don't have um, a, a connection to the Vera Institute, Institute for Justice. They don't have a, a um, they don't have a JAMA. They don't have, like, they don't have a Dean Byrne. Like, they don't have um, these sorts of people who it's not a question of how are we going to create create change. It's a question of when and, and how hard we're going to work to get there. And so my experience at John Jay has, has definitely been crazy from the fact that, like, I applied to John Jay extraordinarily late, didn't know if I was going to get in, didn't get like a you, you were accepted packet until after they sent me my packet to come and take entrance exams. And it was just like, and me being like, what am I doing and why am I going to this school and how like being just super confused. Like that's how I started to, like not being able to wait to have enough money to give back to the place where I came from. And so I think I implore class of 2024 to take the difficult classes, stop using rate my professor because rate my professor doesn't work very well for incredible professors because they're going to push you and the people who didn't want to be pushed are the ones who went to rate my professor to complain. And so to just push yourselves to join as many communities that are available on campus, um, work on campus so that you can have not only your financial um, self together, but then also be able to make that club meeting or also be able to make that event. Because even if you're coming in because you watched a lot of of, of CSI or Law & Order and you're like, that's what I wanna do, you're gonna come in and your first and second semesters are gonna realize, "Oh." it doesn't work exactly the way it works on TV and I have to learn mm-hmm. all these different things, even if that's who you were. Cause that's who I was like, I'm going to mm-hmm. be a compiler, FBI agent. Boom. This is how it's going to work. Completely changed everything about, about what I wanted to do. Um, but that all happened because I put myself out there. I asked difficult questions. I supported, um, um, my professors and work that they were doing so that they would then in turn and support work that i was doing and i made meaningful connections that i'll have for for the rest of my life and so just keep asking just keep knocking on doors just like that that same thing that, that everyone tells you they didn't answer your email you don't want to be annoying doesn't matter and email them again So like these because i think the biggest thing that i want to kind of add is just the way that john j students are hustlers because i ain't never met no hustlers like a john Jay student John Jay faculty are also hustlers. Hustlers so yeah. come into this place knowing that you have to be a hustler yeah. um, in order to make it. And then when and then when a when a professor sees you're also a hustler, they're going to invest energy Absolutely. into you because they know that story. Because that's um, story.
1: So one quick question, one last quick question for you. When you look in your transcript, mm-hmm. If there were one course that you wish you saw on there, but never existed, what Mm. would the title of the course be?
0: Oh my goodness, Um, wow, wow. Um, It would be EDU something, because I'm going to need John Jay to get an education department. (laughs) <laughs> um, because we can't be educating for justice and not churning out teachers who are are talking about social justice and doing all those sorts of mm-hmm. things. So it would be edu something, but it would be um, identity formation, identity connection to um, to 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 forward thinking, like something that is genuinely and completely dedicated to folks looking at their inner selves and, and who that is and, and and finding out who that person is and who that person can and wants to become um, and connect it to what comes after John
1: Jay. Okay. Okay. Thank you for that. I am um, going to start doing more things of asking students. I was talking about this this morning with one of my incredible directors, um, about how we can ask students, particularly the entering freshmen, more about why they came to John Jay and what they hope to learn. Because we have a lot of really interesting courses from gen ed into the majors and so on that some students find by accident it happened to be at the right time and they signed up for it and they encounter a professor or a topic that changes their life. And then other students didn't even know they were there because of the description or the title or what's on rate, my professor and so on. And so um, one of my real goals right now is to um, create some real clarity here around Not just what's in the curriculum, but how you can stack your courses around critical justice issues starting from freshman year going forward, as well as how you can pair those things with critical experiential learning opportunities that are happening at every level. I mean, there are, there are service opportunities. There's the Vera Fellowship, of course. There's Pinkerton. There's all kinds of stuff. We, As you know, there was the, the Teachers College Partnership at Columbia that you uh, didn't get a chance to participate in. There was the <laughs> McNair Program. There are all kinds of things out there for, for you to build experiences that complement the kinds of curricular choices that you're making. So I, I really want to pull these things together, but also keep an open connection to students in terms of what is it that you're interested in or curious about? What's the burning question, right? Because um, above anything else, my job is to listen And my job is to take that listening and turn it into an understanding that then becomes an action. And I want everybody out there to know that the best curriculum is a curriculum that's reflective of the students and the people that it's serving. And we can't keep getting in that direction if there isn't a a direct line between us around what is it that you're hungry for? What are you curious about? And the opportunity for me to think about that and connect with some of our fantastic faculty who also are passionate about these things and create spaces in their courses every single day for students to be, um, home, right, in their intellectual journey. So so thank you for that. I'm going to think a lot about that identity formation.
0: Absolutely. And so I always end out, I just want to thank you so much for, for being on the Black and Black Education podcast. I'm so excited for everyone who is going to listen to this after. And I appreciate your um, vulnerability, your ability to, to clearly connect what it is that needs to happen and, and what you're doing um, to create that. And so thank you so much. And um, yeah, that's, that's the end of another episode. <laughs> Bye everybody.
1: Thank you for the opportunity.